Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Active Optimist podcast. This is Arena, your host, the Active Optimist. With everything I do, I want you to believe that you don't have to be depressed forever. I truly believe that depression is the ultimate cry for help, not for happiness, but for connection back to ourselves and what truly matters. I'm here each week to support you, bring community, and give you daily actions to address the social, psychological, and biological causes of depression so that you can step into the life you know you're meant to lead. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Irina, if you're new and if you're returning, thank you so much and welcome. So on this week's episode, we have another process episode with Jerlyn, who was ever so kind to come on here and share his story. So I think you guys will gain a lot from it. And it's just amazing to hear how people do deal with depression and they have depression and depression is real, but there's also a life after depression and a life beyond depression and real ways that we individuals can figure it out. Or I hate the phrase figure it out because it's not really something that you, you know, you get a code and you unlock but something that you can move through and navigate. So I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think. And without further ado, let's dive in. Jerlyn will begin by just explaining his background. So let's take a listen. I grew up in DR with, in a very, very, very poor town. Like my town didn't even have roads. Like my town had dirt roads. So I come from a very poor family, but we were happy, you know, like as a kid when when you grow, grow up poor, like you don't really know that you are until you have something to compare it to. So for me, when I was nine, I got the opportunity to fly to the United States. My dad offered that opportunity for us because we could have a better education here. And I mean, coming from a third world country, you think a first world country will be ideal for a kid to be raised in and he has more opportunities. So that's what happened. I came to the United States in 2007. July 1st of 2007, and I moved straight to the South Bronx, like boogie down Bronx, 156th Street, 161 Yankee Stadium, straight into the projects. That was my American dream, you know? Like, you're, you're telling a kid, like, yeah, let's go to the United States, let's go to Nueva York. Like, in, in DR, there's no United States, there's just, there's just New York. Because people are fascinating, like, that's where you want to be. So as a kid, I'm like, okay, I'm going to New York. Little did I know, I was coming to the freaking projects. And that's where I lived for like 14 years of my life. I live in the projects. That's where I made my friends. That's where I went to school. And I don't know if you, if you know about the statistics in the Bronx, you basically don't graduate. Most of these kids, you ended up in jail, dead, or you become a dropout. So it, it, it was hard to just have those statistics on me just because I was part of the neighborhood. I mean, it became my neighborhood and I did become part of the statistic, just like I was told, just like my professors told me, just like my teachers told me. And yeah, it just sucks that that's your life, depending on your geographic like, positioning. Like I, that's where I landed. But when it comes to mental health, this is a prime example of like I come from a Dominican family. I identify as Afro-Latino. So my community is black and Dominican. And that's the friends that I had. That's my, my siblings, my family. That's the people I'm around. And for us, we were literally told that mental issues are not a thing. I, I can recall my dad telling me straight in the face that depression is not a thing, that you can beat it with willpower. 
So they beat these beliefs into you, literally gaslighting you, brainwashing you into thinking that there's something wrong with you and then you can fix it yourself. You don't need outside sources. You don't need outside help. And if you were to bring up like therapy or like, I want some time off to focus on myself like during college, like, oh, I want to take a gap year. That's unthinkable. You can't even approach your parents with something like that. So that's rough when you're suffering from depression, suicidal thoughts, you're in a little room in the projects and you have no escape. And back then the internet wasn't that big. I mean, you had like aim, kick, like those little things. But yeah, it was just for me, it was just me in my, in my room and that's it. It adds a level to loneliness to the mental health because not only are you not believed by your own parents and your the people around you, you're already dealing with a really hard time. Like it's a hard time for you and to have people gaslight you and thinking like you're fine, like that's just gonna build up even more more trauma and more disbelief in yourself and the trust that you have with the people around you. Mm-hmm. What age were you or like what time in your life did you start realizing or was just aware of mental health, your mental health? Were you struggling before and you didn't have a real name for it? And you were trying to talk about it and then your parents or whoever would gaslight you. And then maybe later on, did you figure out, oh, this is what is happening? How did you go about that self-education? I mean, for me, even as a kid, I always questioned the things that were taught to me or like the things that my parents said. I was always like, why, why, why are the things like, oh, you want me to do this? Why? And, you know, like in our culture, it's like you just do it or you get or you get hit, which is also another topic of abuse. But yeah, um, I was always questioning, like, why is it this way? Why are people fine and I'm not? Why is it that I'm not getting the help that other people are getting? Like, it, it just, it seemed off. So I was always questioning why that was a thing. And then for me, it started during high school. Because during high school, that's where I got my growth spurt. So believe it or not, I mean, I'm 6'1 now, but I used to be like a shorty. Like, I used to be like three nine, four two, And when I got my growth spurt, I went from like 4-1 to 6-1 in like a year and your body has a lot of changes and you're like freshman in high school. It's a new environment, new people, new neighborhood. So that was a lot for me. And during that year, I became anemic, which was horrible. The depression's kicking in because I couldn't get things done. I was physically drained and I couldn't even go to school. Like I would wake up and faint in bed and I just didn't, I didn't even know what was going on with me. And My parents were like, you're fine, just go to school. Their instinct wasn't like, oh, there's something wrong with this kid. We should take him to the hospital or take him to get diagnosed. It was just drink some tea, go to school. You have to go to school. And over here, you have this kid who's growing, doesn't know what's going on. And I mean, I didn't even know I was anemic. I just, I was just fainting. And like, I couldn't do homework because I was too tired. I was too drained. So that was most of my high school years, just like drained, didn't really have anybody to explain to me what was happening with my body. It's a, it's a period where you're growing a lot. And yeah, I just didn't have anybody in my life to guide me, which is important, especially for kids in my community, like a mentor or like somebody that can guide you, a parent figure. It doesn't even have to be your parent. That makes it or break it for you in that community. Like that's how you become a better person if you see somebody that made it out. So I didn't have any of that. And it just became an accumulation of frustration and I was just lost and the only way the only friend group that I had was through the internet and 
even those relationships, you get close to people who are across the country or in another state, maybe an hour away from you. And those were my friends. But then it gets to a point where you realize you're in a different world. I mean, that world, is, it's a virtual one. It gets lonely when your friends are not online and you're the one who's like in your room, on your computer, doing the same thing every day, every single day. So that's when I started feeling sad. That's when I started feeling lonely. And I think I started looking into it myself. And then I kind of diagnosed myself like, okay, I'm feeling depressed. That was like my junior year of high school. I was like, okay, I'm feeling lonely. I'm depressed. I went up to my dad and I told him, I was like, hey, I'm feeling depressed, which, which took a lot of courage to go up and say that. And then my dad literally looked me in the eye and said, just use your willpower. That's how I got over it. You should be able to get over it. You don't need any therapist or anything like that. That's some BS. So, I mean, after that, like I couldn't do anything. Later, I realized that I could go to somebody like in school and then they would connect me to a therapist. But then even I started to believe it. I was like, I don't need a therapist. Why, why do I need a therapist? I can figure it. I, fi- I can figure this out on my own. And that was the biggest mistake you can make because it's not, you don't need a therapist because you're sad. Everybody needs somebody to talk to or somebody that gives you the space for you to talk out loud so you can hear your own thoughts other than in your own head. I think it was senior year. That's when I finally looked into a therapist. I, I went through my own insurance because I was 18 and I asked, can you guys let me know where I can find a therapist? And then they gave me different options. And that was my first experience with a therapist. My parents didn't know. It was just confidential. She was really nice between the therapist and I. And I went there for like five months. And it worked. I was getting better. She was guiding me towards finding my own answers. She was never giving me the answers. She was always leading and guiding and asking the questions that I needed to hear. And then I made the mistake. I was like, I'm fine. I'm going to stop going. So I stopped going and the depression kicked in. That's, that's really bad. When you think you're okay, there are things that are more traumatic than you think. And, and now as an adult, the only way that I became like more educated on this topic and like personal growth was because I took myself out of that picture. And I, that's the time I became independent. I became an independent person. And I was like, there's so much information out there. I'm just going to start looking for that. And around that time, that's when I met my girlfriend. Her name was Valeria. And she was also somebody who was on that route of personal growth. And when we, we found each other, it was a time where like she taught me that it's okay to express myself. And that was like a trigger. That was a trigger for so much growth. Because to just have one person let you know that it's okay to have feelings and it's okay that you're this way after all the homophobia and the gaslighting that you experience in this community, it was eye-opening. I've been on a journey since then, and it's insane how much growth you can make. It, it was two years ago. This was two years ago. I mean, no, I've been with her two, two and a half. Right? Two to three years ago, but that's when I realized that there's certain ways where you can approach your depression. I mean, it's different for everybody, but for me, it was location. My depression was tied to my location because... I was in a place that didn't allow me to grow. And I was in a place where I was okay with being the person who I was. I was like, I'm not going to be anybody in the future. I am meant to stay in this neighborhood for as long as I have to. And the thing, I mean, I have this conversation with my brother sometimes. He's like, what do you have against that neighborhood that we grew up in? Because he loved growing up there. And I'm just like, it's not a choice to live in the project. Nobody wants to live in a bad environment. Nobody wants to live in a place where you open the door and you might get shot. 
nobody wants to live in a place where you open the door and there's a rat that comes into your apartment. There's rats that sleep with you. There's roaches everywhere. The doors never work because they have bullet holes. Nobody wants to live there. It's nothing against the neighborhood. It's just, it's not a good environment for a kid. It's not a good environment for anybody. And to put into perspective, I think half of my friends from middle school are dead and a good percentage of them are in jail. So the fact that I'm, I'm out here doing better, it's like, I honestly don't even know how it happened. It, it's a miracle. And it, and it just took that one decision of, there was a night where like I was having an anxiety attack. I also didn't know what that was. <laughs> so I'm having it, don't know what's going on, thinking I'm having a panic attack. And I said to myself, I'm going to find a job and I'm going to move to Brooklyn. I'm just going to find a nice neighborhood in Brooklyn. And I ended up moving to Coney Island with my Russian roommate. And that's all it took. My depression was location-based. And it was because that location had all those negative influences around me. Okay. Wow. Well, that's amazing. I think it's really powerful that maybe you knew internally. I don't know if it was consciously. Well, I guess it was consciously when you made the decision to move out and just remove yourself from that location. Because I think a lot of people with depression, our depression is caused or tied to something, but we don't know what it really is. And we're just, you know, we keep butting our heads against it. You keep complaining, keep trying to fight against it versus removing yourself. Because I think that can be hard for a lot of people. I'm sure it was hard for you. So how once you moved to Brooklyn, what things did you start to do to change your life to go towards self-discovery or was it just removing and then you felt better instantly no <laughs> once I moved I was depressed for that year because I, I was by myself I was on myself in a room and I had a huge room in Coney Island it was in the, one of those uh, Kings Highway like a USSR Jewish neighborhood and I had one bed no pillow no pillows and I had my suitcase in a corner and when I met my girlfriend, she would come over. She told me now, but back then she said that she was thinking like I was a serial killer. Like, like who lives like, who lives like that? I had no furniture, no paintings, not even a poster. And that's a sign of depression. My room became how I felt at that time. So I solved one problem and then I, I got another. And the important lesson for myself and maybe for other people who have similar, who are in, right now in a similar position, it takes that one decision and then things are going to fall in line. Things are just going to start opening. I don't know if it's like the universe or good energy, good vibes. But when you start making the decisions yourself and forget about everything else, because that's a hard thing. I basically had to detach myself from my family. I have more respect for the people that stay with their family and they deal with it because that takes a lot of effort to try to teach your parents or whoever's household you're under and you try to change their mind. That takes way more effort than what I did, which was just, I just removed myself from the situation, which is okay too. Like, it just depends on your family dynamic. But yeah, after that, I moved to Coney Island. I met my girlfriend and my depression was very up and down. It was a roller coaster. There were times where like, that's the scary one. When you have highs, your highs are your highest and your lowest are really, really bad. So that was a new one for me. It went from just being depressed to now just, oh, some happy moments and then some bad moments, some happy moments. And that's when I learned to communicate the things that I was going through with, with my partner. Like that's when I started opening up. 
It doesn't have to be your partner. When you find a person that really cares about you, that's all you need. You need one person and that person's going to be there for you, listen to you. You feel validated, which is something that most people don't get in their lives, depending on what stage of their life they're in. So I think validation was a big one where like my world might be in chaos, but there's one there's one person that, that cares about me. So I think that was a big one for me. And she pushed me to go back to therapy. And I actually went back to therapy at the start of the pandemic, because that's when I realized I had more issues than I thought. When you're alone in an isolated place, I mean, the pandemic was horrible for everybody. I don't know if you were in New York City back then. In New York, and that time we were living in Flatbush, that was one of the communities that was affected the most, the Black and Hispanic communities, because these are the people who are bus drivers, train conductors, people who are interacting with public. So a lot of these family passed, like, it was like straight out of a movie, like, we will go to the supermarket, and you will have to do long lines, and across the street was like COVID testing sites with the tents and everybody wearing the white suits. It was weird to see. And for that to become your everyday, and then just staying at home with no information and being scared... And having so much time to yourself, that's when I realized I was like, hmm, depression is not the only thing I have to worry about. Because now I started discovering anger issues and triggers and just layers and layers and layers and layers of things that come with the fact that you don't treat it. It's years and years of untreated conditions, things that you didn't know because you didn't know any better. So I went to therapy for that. And I made a mistake. I, I got somebody who was similar background for me instead of finding somebody who was an expert on the things that I had issues with. So I didn't need somebody who was relatable. I needed somebody who was good at the specifics. So like trauma or like anger issues. So I was with this therapist for six months and it was an interesting experience. That's the thing. People are scared of therapy because there's a lot of stories of like, if you have one bad therapist, it ruins your experience. But for me, she, she wasn't a bad therapist. She just wasn't what I needed. So she did help me with one thing. I had crippling anxiety where like I couldn't even work. So she helped me get through that. And after that, like I wasn't gaining anything from the sessions. So I told her um, that I was going to look for somebody else if she could transfer me. And, and she did. So now I'm with another person. And I started like a month ago. But I just want to say it's okay to have these experiences with therapists, it takes a while. For me, for that one therapist, the past one, it took five months to get some sort of relationship going, some sort of dynamic. Because at first, you don't want to open up to a stranger. And that's okay. Everything's okay. If you're sad, that's okay. If you're lonely, that's okay. The problem is when you have too much of something, and, and that's when you need help. But that's what I've been learning. Like, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to have your downs. That's what makes you human. Your body's letting you know, like, hey, this is how I'm reacting to it. And then your brain is reacting to it. Just go with it. It's nature. It's human nature to have these, these coping mechanisms. Mm -hmm. One of the coping mechanisms for me has always been numbness. I've always been very, very numb, very different when you compare soldiers in Iraq or Afghanistan, like veterans who have PTSD because they were seeing things that were so cruel and they were doing things that were so cruel. But now reading some books, I've been learning that some people can have PTSD, even though they're, if that in, they're not in war. And there's tendencies where like, I mean, I grew up in a neighborhood where like, I saw people get shot. I almost got shot. I saw my friend get gutted. 
I saw a classmate get gutted and died in front of me. <laughs> That's, does that sound like, that sounds like war to you, right? So I'm learning more about like, not diagnose myself, but like understand where things connect. The journey gets a little easier when you start understanding with your body and your mind, where your triggers are. And I mean, I'm here on your podcast being really open about it. If you asked me two years ago to be open about my, my feelings, I'm like, Mm-mm. but even talking about it now makes it feel better. You know, a good example would be, it didn't happen now, but there's times where I recount these events and I feel the same feelings I felt two years ago in that room. <laughs> like a conversation can trigger your body. You probably read this book, The Body Keeps the Score. Yeah. Yeah, your body does keep the score. When you get triggered, all of those feelings come back and you're almost transported to that time and place. But I guess I'm getting better at like finding these triggers. How did you start breaking through being numb or like just talking about it? Was that with your girlfriend? And how did that psychologically work with you? Being numb has to be one of the loneliest experiences because you can't explain that to anybody. You, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing to explain because we're having a conversation here. I seem normal, but in your own world, you're, you're not feeling certain things. How do you explain to somebody that you don't feel anything? So it, it's a hard thing to grasp within yourself and then to explain it to somebody else is even harder. So I think the way I did it was just like, I tried to explain it, but it's hard. It affects your dynamics. It affects your friendships, not just your partner, just like your regular friendships, your work life. It just got to a point where I was like, okay, I'm not feeling these emotions and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just going through something and understanding that your body is in charge. So my body's protecting me from something right now. And that's okay. Just have to play the winning game. One of these days, your body's going to have all these emotions and it's going to feel great. So you, you start a step at a time. You know, for me, it was, I think I hadn't cried for like three years. That just wasn't something I could do. And it sucks because crying is great. Crying is when you let it out. That's a human thing. Crying is good. It's relief. I was able to focus on one thing. And I was like, okay, whenever I'm feeling really down, I'm going to try to release that and cry and just let myself feel the thing. So you start one step at a time. You focus on one thing at a time, one emotion at a time. And once I was able to articulate that with my friendships and my partner, like it just got better from there. People are mindful of you and they know like if you're out there and you're, you're acting different, now they can know, oh, maybe he's just not in control right now. Just let it happen. Even at work when recently, like my coworker, so I'm usually like very hype, energetic. I work in a restaurant, I come into the kitchen. I'm like, hey, me those like I'm super hyper. I'm the hype man. And that day I just was cold, just not feeling it, just cold, just quiet. And my coworker was like, Hey, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. I'm just, just here. I'm just, I don't feel anything. I just, just give me some space. I'm, I'm just going to go through my day. And they did. And they were mindful about it. So you just have to be okay with telling people, you don't have to go in detail. You could just let them know like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not feeling well today. And, and that's okay. I don't have to be this persona that you think that you have in your image because we're more unique than that. We're more complex and it's okay to be different one day you're not feeling it yeah I think that for me oftentimes the first step in anything is just accepting the fact accepting whatever it is accepting my numbness being sad being antisocial all these things and I think that when you do accept it or what I'm hearing that you 
have accepted it, then you're able to tell people that honestly and just lay it all out there. I think it takes away a lot of the self-doubt that a lot of people have. So for example, if I was out with some friends and I was feeling really down, and if I was unable to accept that, then I think the thoughts of Am I bringing the group down? Am I even worth being here? Just the questions and it's into your self-worth, your friendships and all these things. And then because of that, you might not go out because you feel like you're a downer and you're bringing the whole group down. And then it's just a cycle. So, and that's what happens when you don't accept that some days you're just different. Some days you're just not feeling as social, you're not as loud, you're not as you know excited. So it's just amazing to hear that after that acceptance and the land after that acceptance is a land where a lot of people are able to hold that for you and just be mindful and empathetic about that because we are human and we all experience it. A lot of people don't realize or what in our heads we don't realize is that once you say it, everyone more or less kind of knows what you're talking about. Some days I just feel really numb, really bad. But obviously, if you don't say that, then no one is really mindful about that. And we're all kind of living in our own closets away and disconnected from and each other. And you'll be surprised that if you speak up, there's somebody that might be going through the same shit you're going through right now in that same group, in that same location, at the same club. Somebody across from you is feeling the same way. But when you keep it to yourself, you're just going to start catastrophizing. It's going to spiral. I think we're a generation where like, we have a lot to say and we're not afraid to say it. And I love that. I love that this become a generation that we talk about our mental health. We talk about how we feel because it's easy to just, I mean, with Instagram, Twitter, you, you were mentioning it on your last podcast, people seem like they're having the perfect life and they're not. They're just showing you the best moments of their life. I think it's important to have things like these where like you have a platform and you're speaking about it. It will give a lot of reinsurance to other people. The reason why I wanted to come on this podcast when we met was because I want to talk about men specifically and mental health. We're like, it's been such a stigma. You know, you got to be a macho man. You can't really talk about your feelings. And that adds another layer to it. It already makes it harder for you to even seek help because you've been brainwashed to think like you're not meant to speak about these things. I think for guys, it's okay to talk about it. I think it's easier. I mean, I've seen it with my own eyes where like it's easier for women, like two friends, like to just chat about their feelings. Like you could see her in the corner. You guys start talking about life. And for guys, we don't do that. We don't do that. I mean, I do that now because I've grown a little, but men do not do that. You know what we do when we see each other at the corner? You say, what's up? How you doing? And you keep it moving. So we need to normalize just chatting and checking in with men. I mean, I know a lot of people are affected by mental health issues, but specifically checking your, your male friends and the ones who might seem like they're the strongest. They might be the most insecure people around you. And being insecure, it's fine too. Everybody's going through a journey. We shouldn't be judging. We just need to be more compassionate. And I think compassion has gotten me really far. I think compassion and empathy will help you grow. Because you're thinking about other people in, in a way of like, what if that was me? I would like people to be there for me. So, yeah, I just I just think everybody should check. Yeah, check in with your with your friends and specifically your male friends. Mm-hmm. So I've thought about this a lot because I obviously am a girl and most of my friends are girls. And I've thought about a lot of the forces that are just in society, in our world that 
really perpetuate or maybe are the cause of depression in a lot of women or the cause of just questioning yourself. So what do you think are those for men or are they similar? What have you seen in your life personally? Let's talk about identity. That one can be a big one for for mental health because when you don't know who you are and you don't know what, what group you belong with or like who you could be with, I think you start feeling lonely. And it gets like that in my community because it's a place where it's very homophobic and very, there's a lot of misogyny. So to be a guy growing up in these families where like they expect you to be a straight man, get married. And if you're religious, oh, you better be straight. You can't be anything but straight. So for Black and Hispanics, like I think that's one of the biggest things that affect their mental health. Because you're in a place where like you're being brainwashed. They're belittling you for being different. And they belittle you if you speak up. That starts from an early age, for guys specifically. It sucks because then you get to a stage of your life when you start questioning yourself and your identity. And you're already, I mean, it's not a competition, but you're behind in growth-wise because you didn't get that space to open yourself up and be who you wanted to be. So sometimes for men, they have to live two lives. You live the life or like the person who you present to your, to your family. And then you're the person who you present to your friends and everybody else. So for guys, they're already living two lives. And I think it's just better to remove yourself from the fake life that you have and just commit to who you are. And people, if they love you, they're going to accept you no matter what. Especially if it's your, your mother, the unconditional love will be there. If they're religious, oh, questionable. I mean, my family is Catholic, old school, like Palo Santo, like praying every night, kind of Catholic. But yeah, with guys in Black and Hispanic communities, I think identity is a big one. And we should support them and let them know that it's okay to be, to be them themselves. That it's okay to be different. Because then you don't get to move forward. I mean, in my country, if you were gay, like you would get pursued. Like it was almost like a sin growing up. It was one of the biggest sins that you can commit. Just being you. Isn't that crazy? Just being you is a sin. So, and then moving over here, also a big thing, because growing up, this slang was like, no homo. You get that from your siblings, which is the weirdest thing. You get that from your siblings. You get that from your family. No homo. They can't finish a sentence without saying no homo. And that's ingrained in your brain. And I, I started saying it in high school, like it became a thing, like no homo. And then you grow and you're like, wait, that's, that's homophobic, first of all. Second of all, there's this internalized homophobia that has been growing in you because that's all you see. So I think for guys in these communities, just start questioning everything. Like if, if something seems off, maybe it's not right. You can't take what people tell you to heart. You're your own person. You can make your own decision. So where I'm going with this, I mean, the past couple of years, I've been able to find my identity. I identify as queer. And that's big. Like to say to my family, like that, that's, that's a big one. And luckily, I've been able to be in a community where, like, I'm accepted and my friends are also LGBTQ. It's only comfortable when you're in a community of people that are also accepting of you. But when you're like that in your community, like, it's almost like you got to pick your battles. Who do you tell? Who do you spend your time trying not to talk with? Like, is that a conversation you want to have right now or later? Finding your identity in that sense is one thing. And then there's sub-levels because now you have this identity with your sexuality 
And then there's the, where are you from? What's your background? How do you identify? Oh, you black or you Dominican? And being Dominican, it's like, we're mixed. We're mixed. We were conquered by the colonizers. You know? <laughs> we don't like that. But I mean, my background is Taino, which is the native, the natives that were on the island before they were colonized. I'm Taino. I have African background, Portuguese, like we're a mix. So when we migrate to the United States, it's hard to, to identify yourself with a certain group because yes, you're Dominican, but technically you're also black. So do you identify yourself as Afro-Latino? Or do you identify yourself as just Dominican? But you can't just pick and choose because you're part of these communities or you benefit from these communities, believe it or not. And then it's just finding your place in the community because even though I identify as Afro-Latino, I'm obviously not African-American. I do not have the African-American experience. And that's where it takes a lot of self-growth for you to find your place. And once you find your place, you know what you can do and how you can help. So it's layers, sexuality, identity. And the only way I was able to make such progress was because I left. I wouldn't be able to be myself if I was living in the projects. But I live in Brooklyn. I live in Flatbush now. I love it here, so... And I, I used to live in Bushwick, which was very gentrified. That's another conversation because, like, the LGBT community in Bushwick is very white. That, that is sketchy. If your friends only have white friends and they're all LGBTQ and they're only white people in that group, you're like, like, what's going on here? So that was another thing that I had to think about when I was living in Bushwick. I was like, okay, I'm here with the LGBTQ crowd, but how come every event there's only white people? Where's the representation? Why are more people getting included? It's just going to separate the community even more. So I think the lesson with this is like, there's always going to be some layer. You're always going to have to fight the next step. And it might be exhausting, but but that's life. You just got to keep fighting, keep fighting these things. We have to start normalizing the good things. And it's years and years, maybe hundreds of years of things that you have to fight because you're relearning things yourself. It's a lot of relearning to do within yourself and then to help other people relearn things too. Yeah, 100%. And I feel like for my mental health journey, a lot of it was connected to who am I actually surrounding myself with? Like, are the people that I'm around actual people that are not even similar to me, but are they all one type of person? In my case, they weren't similar to me. They And I have felt that loss in just being connected with the people around me because, you know, it's hard when you walk into a room and you're literally the only person with curly hair, even curly hair at that point. So it's just like you do feel, you know, put off and put out. And then there's obviously people who just say insensitive things. And then you're the only one who feels what's wrong. And that can be really isolating for me, especially. Yeah, my mental health definitely did benefit from moving to New York because I was I was depressed in high school and it definitely benefited when moving to New York. So it wasn't just all the people that were from my hometown. And I feel like a lot of people who escape their hometown or run away from their hometown, and that is kind of what they're trying to search for. They're trying to search for people that will actually understand them and actually identify similar to them. I just wanted to ask you if there's one thing, what would you say to either your peers or your younger self about just your mental health and just giving them a little a little nugget of truth, I guess? Well, so well, to be honest, to be frank, shit's gonna get hard. 
shit's gonna get harder, but then it also gets better. In your life, you're always gonna be growing and you're always gonna be working on yourself, but it's gonna get easier to do that. And it might seem like the position that you are right now, like that's what it is, like that's the end game, like you can't change that. But then you take the step and it does start changing. And then you start realizing you're like, whoa, I don't, I don't deserve to be here. Or like, this is a strange place. And even when you get to that place, there's a better place. And you can do it. If you work on yourself consistently, there's going to be change. And, and I think that we all deserve that chance. And, and for me, something as having a safe neighborhood where I live, or like, I don't have to be worried about like, are those gunshots or are those fireworks? I never thought I was going to have that. But now I do. And now that I do, I'm looking for the next thing. Okay, I got this apartment. What's the next thing? I want a house. And when you, when you start growing, you're like, you can do these things. Believe in yourself. Everybody's playing this little game where they think they're, they got it down. The owner of the place you work at, your CEO, your superior, they don't know what they're doing. And neither do you because everybody's living this fantasy. They don't know what they're doing. You're going to get to that position. And it's okay to not know what you're doing because they didn't know what they were doing. And once you gain that confidence, I think you can go for things. You can go for things. And once you go for things, you won't feel like you're stuck. And when you feel like you're stuck, that's when the cycle continues. And I just want to tell everybody, like, things change. It doesn't get, like, completely easy. I'm just saying, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it, it changes for the better. Because there's, there's things that affect you in life that you never saw coming. I mean, I did so much growth, and I thought that I did until one of our close friends committed suicide two months ago. And that changed my personality for a whole month. That was so jarring and unexpected that my personality changed. Like, my personality changed for a month. Who can see that coming? You can't see it coming. Well, that's okay. It's part of life. You, you learn to feel what you need to feel, and then you keep going. You keep living because that's all you can do. And there's people that want you to keep on living. There's somebody thinking about you right now, somewhere. If that's your parent, your girlfriend, your, your friend, even your coworker, maybe uh, your manager that really likes you, he likes you're a good employee. Like, oh, what's that person up to? There's people that care about you and life might keep hitting you with these punches and they do hurt. Cause that shit was not, <laughs> that shit wasn't, wasn't easy, but yeah, keep on, keep on going. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for your vulnerability. I love your story. I love how eloquently you rest everything. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time as well. I had a great time on this podcast. Thank you, Arena. Okay, so that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you again, Julian, for coming on here and just being so vulnerable with us and sharing your wisdom and knowledge. You have so much wisdom and you're such a kind soul, so thank you so much. And I was so honored to have this conversation with you. You can find Jerlyn on Instagram at JerlynPN, and that is spelled J-H-E-R-L-I-N-P-N. And that will also be typed out in the show notes. So go check him out. He's a very talented portrait photographer. So if you happen to be in New York City, go hit him up and have some fun and you know, take wonderful pictures with him and support him. I know he'll appreciate it a ton. I'm so glad that I was able to have this conversation. I feel like a lot of the topics that we touched on are topics that I really want to touch on a lot more in the future. So gender, sexuality, 
how religion plays with us and trauma, I think are very important and very real topics when it comes to mental wellness, being our authentic self, and depression. So I hope that this episode touched you as much as it touched me. If it has, please share it with a friend, share it on social media. You never know what you can give them a little hope, a little break in the clouds, because we all will go through dark times and you never know who will need it today. And just to show them that you can live through depression and there's a world outside of it and that you can persevere and that things get better. So thank you so much again for listening. I will be back next week with another episode and yeah, ciao.